great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. Um, I don't know how to ask this, but are you okay? <laughs> you know, sometimes you get hit with the stick when you woke up, and today I got hit with the ugly stick. Yeah, I woke up red and splotchy this morning. It was like an it was like an ugly two by four that got you. <laughs> No, I'm joking, honey. You're beautiful, but like I can tell the difference between your normal state and today, and it would be rude if I didn't acknowledge that. I also love the one missing nail. I know. I went on vacation for two weeks, and I came back, and my body was just like, no, we reject all of this. (laughs) Your body's like, you're trying to look hot? I'm sorry. I'm going to give you nine long, perfect red fingernails and one naked stub. Yeah. It's not going great, guys. Let's just say I'm glad that right now I have a face for podcasting, so... Well, so do I. I mean, I've looked better, too. (laughs) I just don't have a rash on my face. Uh, Well, Um, now people are imagining the worst. This is actually better, though, because if anyone saw me, they'd be like, oh, okay, on the podcast, it made it seem like, you know... Also, what's that one brand of Band-Aid about? Again, my skin is so dry. The the skin of my thumb is cracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't look at me. I'm hideous. I need the I need the Phantom of the Opera half mask. Yeah, because half of your face is like good to go. Yeah, it's just that other half. Anyway, I'm back. We're back. You're back from Europe, and Aiden's back <laughs> on Six on the it, City. just like that. One of the biggest hidden forces on this podcast is my father, who was the first one to send me the Deadline article revealing that Aiden is going to be back, even though no one has confirmed this. An unnamed source told Deadline he will be back for a multi-episode arc. It seems like something that would happen. But of course, we've been fucked with before around this stuff, right? Because John Corbett himself falsely started the rumor that he would be appearing in the first season, which we took at face value because who would do that? Why would you lie about that? Yeah. I think the why is that he was bitter that he wasn't cast. Yeah, and then he saw what happened to Chris Noth, and he was like, I'm good, I'll wait till the next season. I just, I don't know what satisfying storyline could happen. I think a romance with Aiden and Carrie could make more sense now than it did on Sex in the City, because as Miranda famously said, relationships are all about timing. Men are like cabs, right? And so are women. And at the time when Aiden and Carrie were together... He was obsessed with getting married and having kids. Right. She wasn't in that place. She had unfinished business with Mr. Big, but now he's dead. Aiden's already had kids. He probably got a divorce during the pandemic, like all of those people that got divorced. And now he's single and Tate and Homer and what's his face are probably like in college or something. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes that Carrie would make a great stepmom. I think what makes me nervous is a multi-episode arc. So it's not going to be the Bridget Moynihan thing where it there's 
kind of nothing going on, but it doesn't seem, or maybe they're trying to get us off the scent that he'll be a boyfriend in recurring seasons, which I don't think we really want either. Well, the question is, are they going to make yet another love triangle between (laughs) the podcast producer guy and Aiden? Right. Which seems like something that they would do. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be like before sunset and he shows up at her book signing and that's kind of what begins all of this. Or I think I posited in the run-up of last season. I think the only other satisfying storyline is if it's a high-fidelity thing where Carrie is going through all of her past relationships, potentially for a new book, potentially for a podcast series. Or yeah, even an article, she could do some Vogue piece in conjunction with her book coming out that's like about interrogating her past relationships and stuff. Right. But if you're doing that, then then most certainly Ron Livingston would come back as Burger. Which would be cool. It would be funny. That would be funny. I actually like that. But let's see if they do that. In other news, Ben Affleck and J-Lo got married. Again. For real this time. Well, I think they got married for real last time, but they just had the ceremony this time. This time, instead of two dresses, she had three dresses. (sighs) And they were all ugly. (laughs) They were all Ralph Lauren. Not the place to go uh, for evening wear in 2022, but who am I to judge? He dressed her for the Met. I think she went to the September Met last year. Yeah, and she looked like Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) Look, I don't want to be a bitch. I'm just saying this is like the hottest woman on the planet. Right. Who literally could have any designer. Well, I mean, a Versace wedding dress is truly, it's right there. It is right there. Although having Ralph Lauren design a bunch of ugly dresses sort of fits with the fact that they got married on Ben Affleck's plantation. Which he he bought that plantation, or former plantation, 20 years ago. So people forgot that he uh, owns a house in Savannah that has existed for 400 years. Wonder what it was used for. Also, it doesn't even seem like a cool-looking plantation. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if you're going to, like, have an awful plantation wedding, like, you would hope that the plantation at least looked good in aerial photographs. Right. The histor- at least it had a historical architecture and didn't have signs that in that live, laugh, love font. Yeah, terrible. Who ordered those from Etsy? That made it clear that while they may have had a wedding planner, they didn't get the final say. The planner, I mean. You think that that's all them? Well, yeah, because no one but a deranged bride would procure such a horrible looking thing. God, I'm being such a bitch. This is why people think we're assholes. I mean, look, I'm happy that they're married. The fact that they are married just makes me nervous that they're going to get a divorce, which I really can't handle. Because if you think I'm red and blotchy now, imagine how my skin is going to freak out when my favorite teenage couple breaks up yet again. Look, I'm rooting for them also, but I don't know. This wedding just didn't do it for me. What's interesting is it feels like, and again, I just got back, but it feels like it didn't have the cultural cachet that a celebrity wedding does. And I don't know if we're just over it or we don't care about them. I think it didn't have that cachet because the fashion was uninteresting. It didn't look crazy. Like it wasn't on that Britney Spears, Jeff Lethem level of extravagance. And there were no celebrities there. 
apart from Matt Damon, Kevin Smith. Like, those aren't real celebrities. Like, Leah Remini wasn't even there. I know, which has opened the door if Jennifer Lopez and Leah Remini have had a falling out. I hope not. I love the longstanding celebrity friendship. Me too. But you've really glossed over the fact that Kevin Smith was there in white jorts. Because <laughs> all the guests were in white. Which seems to be the, the new subversive wedding attire. Is like, no, no, guests, you will also be wearing white. I don't know if it's subversive so much as this hyper-awareness of how everything looks in photographs. And the brides need to control how those photographs look. Oh, you're saying that's a way to control what people are wearing. Yeah, because everything at the very least looks uniform. Fair enough. I get it, but I do think it's a little bit oppressive. Mostly because I think having gone to a couple of all-white weddings in recent years, the second you look for a white dress, they don't exist. Oh yeah, like when I was looking for a dress to wear for my friend's wedding, which is why I was in Europe, congratulations Kayla and Jay, all I could find were cute white dresses. Yeah, exactly. That's just how it works. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. It's interesting. There's been this summer between the breakup of Kim and Pete and now the wedding of Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. I don't know if we're just in a different place in celebrity culture or because we didn't see Kim and Pete for weeks before they broke up, it it felt anticlimactic. And because Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck got married already only a few weeks before this wedding that it just doesn't resonate as much. There is a lack of wow factor on all fronts, I think. But that said, I'm happy for them. Um, and I hope that they have a long and fabulous marriage. So yeah, during the course of doing this podcast, we've learned that it's very hard to transition from the normal dumb bullshit we talk about into the sometimes terrible and depraved pop culture stories we must cover from time to time. So to help us, we've enlisted friend of the show, Lauren Kramer, to create a jingle. And it goes a little something like this. <laughs> Only on every outfit. He's demented and I love it. So what should we talk about first? Anne Heche's tragic demise or the House of Hammer trailer? All, yes, all things that happened right around the last time we recorded. Yeah. Um, House of Hammer? Sure. I'm Casey Hammer and I'm about to reveal the dark twisted <laughs> secrets of the Hammer family. Truly, guys, that dropped the second after we recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I obviously have not seen House of Hammer. I don't know if there's evidence presented in this series that proves that Army Hammer intended to harm and more specifically cannibalize his girlfriends, uh, which is the most sensational claim. But if he is, in fact, an abuser... This trailer is doing his victims a major disservice because I watch this and think this is bullshit. It's twofold, right? Which is there are his actions in person with these women allegedly non-consensually branding them, having non-consensual sex with them. And then there is the other stuff, which is very extreme, depending on where you fall on the sexual spectrum, fantasy talk. Like, yeah, that text message about public use is like, well, that's fantasy talk. (laughs) Yeah. So this is 
the uh, text message that he sent to a woman that is presented in the trailer like it is a smoking gun, which he said, I have a fantasy about having someone prove their love and devotion and tying their body up in a public place at night and making their body free use. Sure, you might think this is gross, but this is literally the plot of the story of O. Like, this is like (laughs) a pretty generic and common sexual fantasy like everything presented in this trailer suggests that army hammer is like a kinky guy and there were a lot of things before this that would give you that idea too there was that moment a few years ago i think even before call me by your name came out where he wasn't aware that the things that you like on twitter are public Right. And so he liked all of the, you know, Japanese rope bondage articles and stuff like that. Well, and bondage is mentioned in the trailer. Also, I'm pretty sure he's he was married during all of these relationships. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was. Look, he's not the most ethical person, but... I don't think that you can take someone's sexual fantasies at face value and then make character judgments. Yeah. And this is where the media has taken off with it and is doing a disservice to uh, the Me Too movement, whatever you want to call it, which is they've really conflated and culturally we've really conflated saying you want to consume a part of someone and actually cannibalizing someone. Yeah. Like, is there evidence presented? that suggests that Army Hammer actually intended to kill and eat these women. Like, is he like that guy, that German guy that met that other guy on Craigslist and ate him? Oh. Which was consensual, by the way, but But, still. I thought you were going to say Dahmer. Yes. Uh, The more intriguing part of the documentary trailer, I would say, is, I believe, Army Hammer's aunt, is I believe who Casey Hammer is, who's going to go into the history of the family, But there was an extensive Vanity Fair article written a few years ago when these allegations first came out about Army Hammer that went into the family, specifically his father. And do you remember what the father allegedly has? No. The naughty chair. That what? Oh, do you not remember that this was the no? What's the naughty chair? Okay, he allegedly built a sex throne, which he referred to as a naughty chair, which is stored allegedly at the Arm and Hammer Foundation in Carpinteria, California. It is a seven foot high chair featuring a hole in the seat and a cage underneath it with a hook. So presumably he sits on it. Uh huh. And there's a woman suspended or person suspended underneath it. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, and we're surprised that (laughs) Army Hammer has these like violent fetishes. Yeah. Like that's just like the natural conclusion of having that be your father. I mean, quite honestly, do you think he was mad he wasn't casting Girl with the Dragon Tattoo American remake? He's like, come on, Fincher. I was in Social Network. (laughs) You're going to put Rooney in this, but not me? All right. (laughs) I have one of these in my house, too. Oh my god, imagine Fincher comes out, he's like, I actually based the design on (laughs) Army Hammer's basement. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird vibe. I'm obviously looking forward to watching it. Not looking forward to, but I will watch it. In other terrible news, Anne Heche died. She succumbed to her injuries. They took her off of life support once they found people for her organs to go to. Glad she's an organ donor. Great thing to do. 
I don't know what the fuck. I mean, yes, everyone donate their organs. Yeah, the last time we recorded the podcast, she was in critical condition. And it's just so fucking depressing. And even though I've had a couple weeks to process it, it's still shocking because it's so dark. It's so Hollywood Babylon-esque. Like, there really should be a third Hollywood Babylon book because this really does feel like it's cut from the same cloth as like a Jane Mansfield or a Francis Farmer or something, but for our time. And quite fittingly, she will be buried at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, rest in peace, Anne Heche. We will finally rewatch Gus Van Sant's Psycho in your honor. This is equally difficult to transition from bad news into good news. Although I guess Gus Van Zandt is kind of a connective tissue because he will be directing all of the episodes of the upcoming Feud season two. Yes, Feud Capote's Women. Did we will this into existence? It's... I don't know if we willed this into existence so much as like Ryan Murphy really has a deep understanding of the kind of television shows that we want to watch. So he made this for us. Yes. So Feud season two will focus on the the fallout even before his posthumous novel Answered Prayers ever came out. But Answered Prayers was a book that Truman Capote wrote that he would never end up publishing until after he died. But excerpts of it were in Esquire, and it was very thinly veiled references to all of his fabulous socialite friends who then stopped being friends with him. Right. So... Cast in these roles, we have Naomi Watts as Babe Paley, Callista Flockhart as Lee Radswell, which this is the one that really gets me. That is actually perfect. It's great casting. And for those who don't know, Truman Capote convinced Lee Radswell to become an actress and it went disastrously wrong. So I'm very excited for this. Although, as I remember, she didn't really cop it that hard in his article like i think he basically just said she's jealous of her sister jackie o which i feel like was already common knowledge at that point like i don't think that was like a bombshell i've never read this article but as i remember it was babe paley that really copped it because i think he said something about it was about her husband cheating on her but it was something like either Babe Paley or her housekeeper had to clean up like period stains from his mistresses or something, which you understand why she couldn't forgive him after that point. Yeah, you kind of can't. So we have Chloe Sevigny as Cece Guest and Diane Lane as Slim Keith. Brilliant casting. I like that he's opening up his repertoire of women of a certain age. I'm glad we're bringing Diane Lane into this, Callista Flockhart. And I'm glad we're bringing Gus Van Sant into this. It's kind of an intriguing choice because apart from To Die For, there's not a ton of movies that are like strong female lead type movies that he's made. For him. Yeah. I guess maybe... Even cowgirls get the blues, but I feel like that was kind of like not the most major. No, he's always fronted male-centric films. And not a lot of period either. I mean, obviously Milk was period, but I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. I'm also looking forward to where they're going to shoot this. Are they going to shoot New York for New York, or are they going to try to transform Los Angeles to look like 1960s New York? Yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to see... 
But a side note, other television news, Barbie Ferreira not coming back for Euphoria. Very sad. Kind of expected. I don't know if that was a conversation between Sam Levinson and Barbie because the show is not coming back till 2024. They're not even shooting to next year. I wonder if she was just like, deal it to me straight so that I can plan my year as an actress. Like, am I going to be filming next year or should I be looking for projects to do? Right. Because you've given me dust. Yeah. Well, it's not surprising. Zendaya has said that she would like to see them out of high school. And I really can't imagine how that next season is not going to be a a time jump forward. See, Zendaya is too young to have seen the episodes of Dawson's Creek where they went to college. (laughs) So she doesn't realize what a bad idea this is. I mean, most high school shows of the late 90s into 2000s completely fall apart when that happens. 90210, Buffy, Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Even Felicity, which starts in college, falls apart once they graduate. It's just when you have a certain time structure around a show, it's hard to go elsewhere. It's true. And in other news, Lauren Ambrose, our fave, has been cast as the ginger lesbian in Yellow Jackets. You must just be. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I really am over the moon. I mean, yeah, Chell, this is such a golden era for lesbians right now. We've got this news and we have a league of their own. Yes. How much did you watch a league of their own? I got halfway through. Okay. That's more than I expected. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I wasn't sure if you would be into it or not. I will say it's a little slow, especially if you're obviously if you're watching the show, you've watched the film, although I'm very intrigued if there are Gen (laughs) Gen Z people that are like, ooh, lesbian show. What is what is this? Where does this come from? Yeah, I think I was kind of skeptical of the show for the first couple of episodes. And then I got really into it. I got really invested in the characters, invested in the dyke drama, obviously. But I also recognize that I'm the ideal viewer for this show because I'm a fan of A League of Their Own. I'm a millennial. I was a fan of Broad City. I played softball in middle school. Like it's You all... did? You didn't know that? No. Oh, really? It explains a lot, but yeah. Yeah. I'm a lesbian and this show is engineered for me to like it. I like it. Yeah. It, it just takes a minute for it to start. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, it's not a direct remake of the Penny Marshall film. The characters are completely different, but it centers around the same baseball team at the same exact time period, which I I believe is like the early 40s. I don't know when World War II happened. I believe the show is set in 1943. I think the most important part, and it shows that the creators really understand the things that people give a shit about coming into this, which is it's the same uniform. Yeah. It's the same amazing uniform. Are you and Tack going to go as a league of their own beaches <laughs> players for Halloween? No, I, the outfit's very cute, but I wouldn't be caught dead in it. But that's what they actually wore. That was a real ass team. But it is kind of like and just like that in that it is a more socially conscious take on the source material, right? Right. They're focusing on the queerness of the players, which was never really explored and... There's a black character that actually was in a league of their own. Do you remember this? There's a scene when someone hits a foul ball and this unnamed... Oh, they catch it. 
yeah, this unnamed black woman who didn't have a line like throws it back to Gina Davis. And it's obvious that she's an incredible baseball player, but obviously baseball was segregated at the time. So they've expanded this character into basically a co-lead with Abby Jacobson. In a parallel storyline, which I would say I find more interesting than the the Peaches character team. I don't know if it's more more interesting, but I do think while I like Abby Jacobson and Shantae Adams, I think everyone around them is all of those characters are more interesting. Right. Like Darcy Carden, to me, is like the rock of this show. The most interesting character. The most fabulous. Because they basically took the Madonna character from the original film and kind of spun it out into this glamorous lesbian named Greta, who's fabulous. <laughs> Which they were like, come on, you watch A League of Their Own. You saw Madonna and Rosie. They were clearly lesbians. <laughs> well, it is fun how instead of just remaking it verbatim they did just kind of take the things that work like the friendship dynamic between Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna and then replicated that in a different way it seems that we're going to seldom get new original content so if we're just gonna (laughs) like make tv shows out of movies and movies out of tv shows this is definitely the template that I hope other creators follow which is you don't have to follow the previous thing to a t You don't have to make it completely different. You can just take the elements that work that sort of satisfy that nostalgic tingle without it being too much fan service. Totally. They're like, we'll keep Rosie and Madonna, but we'll get rid of that chick that had the annoying child. (laughs) You know? No kids. And they also, they definitely made it lighter. Like, I don't really feel the heaviness of World War II. Like, no one's husband dies. Well, again, I'm only halfway through, but that's what I was going to say. Is It does feel like a Russian roulette throughout that film of, like, whenever someone enters a room, it's like, whose husband died at war? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's getting that letter? Yeah, it is a lot lighter in a lot of ways. But also, I think we should mention, if you're really a stickler to historical accuracy I don't know if you'd love this because between like the dialogue like these people talk like us right they do not talk like people in the 1940s the music is actually pretty deranged Uh, (laughs) it's not like it's not modern in like a fun Marie Antoinette way it's like they play like 60s music and stuff mostly I had a similar problem, and I know you and I feel the same way about this, in Wolf of Wall Street, where it's supposed to be a sequence in the early 90s, and then they play Foo Fighters Everlong, and it's like, ooh, you either need to play contemporary music at the time, or a longer time period in between the two. It's it's too close together for it to be anachronistic, and then it's not close enough that it's period-specific. So what are we doing here? Yeah, I kind of wish they just played 40s music, because yeah. it would like remind us that we were in the 40s. Well, like every 1940s film that's been made from the 1990s on, they have to have Benny Goodman's uh, Sing Sing Sing. <laughs> True. Did you get to the episode with Rosie O'Donnell? I haven't, no. She returns not as her character (laughs) from a league of their own but as a different character and she's just major although that episode is the most upsetting i mean you'll watch it i don't want to spoil it okay but anyway if you guys haven't watched a league of their own yet watch it what are you doing certainly not watching sharp stick which is the other thing we watched (laughs) so lena dunham's second film can you believe it's only her second film Crazy. Well, she did have a five-season TV series in between the two films, so... Yeah. 
Um, that came out. You can watch it on demand. Or you can just hear our thoughts about it, and maybe that'll be enough. Well, what did you think of Sharp Stick? What did you think of Sharp Stick? I'm kind of like justice for Sharp Stick. <laughs> you did text that to me while I was on vacation. Look, it's not without its flaws, but I was entertained watching it. It's unique. I don't. I think that the lead played by what's her name, Christine Froseth, was incredible. But it is kind of all over the place. Like I don't know how. Like, I wasn't that invested in her family life with Jennifer Jason Lee and Taylor Page, but I was very invested in her work life with Lena Dunham playing her employer and your love, John Barenthal, playing her love interest. Obsessed. While watching Sharpstick, it reminded me a lot of the experience of watching Sam Levinson's Malcolm and Marie, a film that I've tried to erase from my memory. But they're both these character studies based on something the audience is aware happened to the creators. Like for Malcolm and Marie, it's the fact that Sam Levinson couldn't get over a bad review for Assassination Nation. I kid you not. Right. And then for Sharpstick, it's... Lena Dunham and her hysterectomy. And there are moments of utter brilliance in the film. But the majority of the film, I feel like the creators are not able to get out of their own way. And I think now we should mention the elephant in the room, which is how is that main character not neurodivergent? Okay. Well, for those of you who haven't seen Sharpstick, which I assume is literally everyone listening. <laughs> The central protagonist is a very unusual girl. She's 26, but she's a virgin. She dresses kind of like a combination of an Orthodox Jew and Heather Mozzararo's character in Welcome to the Dollhouse. Which, to be 26 and a virgin would be fine if she came from a deeply religious household, which she doesn't, because there are several scenes where Jennifer Jason Leigh, who I'm like, I want a whole film about her being seemingly a a failed actress or on the outskirts of Hollywood in the 90s, the lead character, Sarah Jo, reminded me of the beginning of Secretary, where it's like if she had just come out of a mental institution, a lot would be explained. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But there's been a lot of talk about the fact that it's never expressly stated that she's on the spectrum, but she acts communicates relate to the world relates to the world in a way that would suggest that she is but i think that this can be explained very simply by the fact that just imagine you're lena dunham you're not lauren you're lena dunham you want to do a film about an autistic person (laughs) is there any way you're not going to get fucked for that Because once you say a character is neurodivergent, you then have to take feedback from everyone about how accurate or sensitive your portrayal was. So if you just provide no explanation, you're like, she's just a fucking weirdo. No one can really come for you. Yeah, Lena Dunham decided to go through door three, which is this character is coded as someone who's neurodivergent, and I'm not going to answer to that at all, and it's very unsatisfying. Even if someone is neurodivergent, it is a huge buy-in that a character in this year of our Lord, 2022, (laughs) knows nothing about sex. She doesn't even know that porn exists. She doesn't know what a tube site is. Wait, what's that? Porn tube... Like, red tube. Do you want me to keep naming the tube sites? Well, see, I don't know that shit either, clearly. (laughs) 
Well, she doesn't know. She thinks a blow job is like you literally blow okay. on a dick, like you're blowing out a candle or something. Which this film would also make sense if Brooke Shields' character from Blue Lagoon was transported into this film. If, if Lena Dunham was like, actually, you know, to make a film, even if it's an indie film, it has to be based on IP. So Sarah Jo is actually Brooke Shields' character <laughs> on Blue Lagoon. That character, I believe, would blow on a dick. <laughs> it is funny because she's extremely hot, yet. She also looks 17, which makes it also confusing. It's she like, looks like she's 11. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. I will... Yeah, it is uncomfortable. <laughs> That's part of why this movie is uncomfortable. I will say that the parts that I actually love the most are Lena Dunham. And to your point, that family yeah. dynamic. Because, I mean, this isn't a spoiler because we know how films go. And no, none of you are going to see this film. But... Lena Dunham discovering that her babysitter and her husband are having an affair is one of the funniest fucking scenes. I could not stop laughing. Yeah, same. Loved it. Also, when she like accosts them later. Uh, okay, when they're that, going <laughs> that is truly... It's like, I'm sorry, this character isn't neurodivergent. She comes to their home and then yells at all of the weird... Not weird... All of the sexual stuff she's been doing. Here's the other problem with the movie. The first 40 minutes is great. The And the end of her affair with her boss, which is inevitable, is brilliant and funny. But how she absorbs that, it, it's not him breaking things off. It's him realizing that his wife knows about his affair, which she then... <laughs> reveals to Sarah Joe that he's done this multiple times cause, and she's actively in labor and she's like, what? Is this like, what was my favorite one? The stripper and I had to stop you from moving to Ontario. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. But I have a question for you. Sure. So after after she ends this affair with her boss, she becomes, she discovers porn and she specifically discovers this male porn star that's like this heavily tattooed guy. Are you about to ask me if it's based on a real yeah, porn star? Is that based on a real person? I only know this having watched the film Pleasure, which has the real porn star whose porn name is Small Hands. Just, <laughs> just, just Google Small Hands, and that's definitely who she based Scott Speedman, a beloved actor from Felicity, on. Wow, it's just pictures of Donald Trump and his little hands coming up. Wait, small hands? Oh, I see him. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that she based the look of him on this guy. That is quite funny because he has this brand of dirty talk that is feels like he's just reading motivational quotes from Instagram. Yeah, let, let's put it this way. Uh, small hands is not, <laughs> his videos are not. That is a completely invented feminist porn genre that Lena Dunham has created. Anyway, my other issue with the film is, yes, once, <laughs> once she leaves that employment and the affair ends, how she absorbs that breakup, for lack of a better term, is if she was better at fucking, he would never leave her. Which you would understand if he broke up with her and she's like, but I don't understand. But she was witness to Lena Dunham yelling at John Bernthal 
about all the times he's done this before. And also, I find it hard to believe that none of her friends sat Lena Dunham down and was like, by the way, you were doing Girls when this happened, but you might have missed a movie written and directed by Maggie Carey from 2013 called The To-Do List, which is literally Aubrey Plaza being like, I can't go to college without fucking, and writes on a board, handjob, blowjob, sex, anal, and checks all of them off, which is literally what Sarah Joe does at the back half of this movie. Oh, see, I haven't seen that. I like that it exists. I like that Lena Dunham is creating. I mean, you've made this point before. She is so good at showing a specific human being that exists in the world that's not shown in media. Yeah. And I think John Bernthal as like the fuck up Gen X husband is a perfect example of that. Totally. And another example of Desi being in this. (laughs) Desi plays his friend. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Who she finds to blow. That's another thing that is kind of funny. A runner in the film is no guy seemingly wants a (laughs) blowjob. I don't know. I'm still into sharp stick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sharp stick forever yeah like i'm not gonna see it again but like you know i don't i don't regret that two hours of my life well it was only an hour and 30 so. well, again great how considerate of her yeah for sure anyway shall we talk about september issues all of the issues that we have with the september issues i smell a, a yearly segment coming up where do we start vogue american vogue yeah It's a very Vogue issue. It's a very American Vogue issue. (laughs) It's the most American Vogue issue. Like, even though Serena Williams is on the cover, she's on the beach, she, of course, is announcing her retirement, which is a big scoop for Vogue to get, right? They're not usually breaking news in Vogue. No, but Anna Wintour does love tennis and loves Serena Williams. Yeah. So it's a good outlet to do it. For sure. But do I care? No, I do not care. That she's retiring or the photos or everything? Well, no, I mean the photos. Well, I guess I don't really care that she's retiring because I don't watch tennis. Like, I understand that she's a brilliant athlete, but it doesn't speak to me necessarily. Although this is Anna's magazine and there is nothing that Anna loves more than tennis. There's nothing more that she loves than a nice tasteful beach shoot and putting Serena Williams in a sleeveless dress which is literally the same dress that she was in the last time that she was on the cover of Vogue I guess there's just one dress that they make for her there's one way to style Serena Williams well that's kind of the my issue with this issue is yeah it's the same tired styling even though it's not Annie Leibovitz photographing this it might Might as as well well be. be yeah it's just there's nothing about it that feels new and it's because they've done it multiple times before in exactly the same way oh, the yeah. same person the same vibe yeah. like oh know. yeah if we said this was the body issue from 2008 you'd be like oh yeah yeah of course british vogue <laughs> however more exciting because the subject was unexpected i think that's what we would like from american vogue is someone on the cover that where it's genuinely surprising Genuinely surprising and also someone, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, Linda Evangelista was in the tabloids earlier this year for the whole cool sculpting debacle. Yeah, and this is her first magazine cover since the People magazine cover. This shoot has the best team, Mizell, Pat McGrath, Guido, Edward Enenfull styling. Like, there's no way this 
group of people can make you look bad. Did you find it interesting that her body was not photographed? That it was just... Nothing but her face was photographed. Her neck, her hair, we didn't see in any of these photos. Because in every single image, she was wearing like a kerchief and a hat. And either like a turtleneck or a coat with a really high collar. Like it was a very bizarre, kind of almost little Edie-esque look. Yeah, and having seen the People magazine photos, and they do reference this in the article where the person writing the article is like, is this great for your mental health to <laughs> like have your face sort of pulled back so that it sort of looks like how you did before? But she doesn't look that weird. I mean, no. it feels a bit self-invented to have to cover her this much to... She only looks weird because of the styling, because it's she's wearing giant hats and headscarves in every single image, which look cool, like Edward Enfold did a great job, but it does feel very bizarre it feels at the like, same time. Yeah, it feels like there's something more wrong with her than there is. Yeah. But having said that, would I rather not have this shoot than have this shoot? I would love to have this shoot. Great. Yeah, it's it's not the most brilliant shoot that they've done or British Vogue has put out, but at least it felt unexpected. Better than American Vogue. Yeah. But I think Italian Vogue has the best September issue cover, which is Gigi Hadid, and they made her look like this weird combination of Lisa Marie in Mars Attacks right. and like a... 70s high fashion British punk. I'm sure that look was always based on The Bride of Frankenstein. It's just, it's that like bleach blonde, deep yeah. roots, feels like you put your finger in electrical socket. Yeah, but it's cool because we've never seen Gigi look like that before. Hair and makeup was incredible. Grace Coddington styled it. It felt like she used a lot of pieces that are important to the season, like the Balenciaga leather trash bag tape. and the tape yeah. yeah and the adidas gucci corset gown and stuff like it felt like more aligned with the times fashion wise than either of the other vogue covers did yeah i wonder if the vogue issues are trying to boost up uh regime varad at chanel because both the linda evangelista editorial and the Gigi editorial have chanel tweet suits in them and i don't know if that's just a kind of 90s reference or... I feel like in the Gigi one, they were going for a more like 60s quality. Right. She looks very cool. Harper's Bazaar, on the other hand. You have in our outline, you've written aggressively boring. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, really. I mean, this is something that they always do. This has become a bit more de rigueur, the multiple photo shoots, multiple covers. Instead of investing in... I'm gonna One write, good idea? One good idea, or just taking the budgets that you've used for four, five in-studio shot up against, you know, a paper background and go somewhere with one person. Well, that's basically what Vogue Italia did. Yeah. Like that was, I think there was a couple of shots that were in what looked like a, a desolate alley or something, but most of it was against Seamless. So there's really no excuse to have a bad cover in studio. You've just hired the wrong photographer, the wrong stylist. 
Yeah, and this is also, I feel like, the people magazineification and teen vogueification of the upper echelon fashion magazines, which is like, we have to be important too. Like, this is not just the September cover. We got to say something with this. So these are the next icons. But it says nothing. No, it's, it's Because about- they're like the 50th fashion magazine to put a guy in a dress on the cover. Right. Florence Pugh, sure, she's great, but they're not really showing us a different side of her. Well, these are a mixture of PR covers because you've got Hailey Bieber and Florence Pugh who have projects out. Like Hailey's got her skincare line. Florence has Don't Worry Darling coming out. Of course, they put Amanda Gorman just to sort of balance that out. They're like, we're not just vapid. Look at us. We put Amanda Gorman on the cover too. Yeah, well, she's also glamorous and fabulous, but... I don't know. It just, it seems so expected. There's no X factor and there's nothing about this that sticks in your mind. There is no way that I'm going to remember this in four months at all. I mean, there's only one shoot that we'll remember in four months and that's coming up. Well, we might remember the W Magazine's weird television nod to television shoot. Although we haven't actually seen a cover. Oh, we've just seen what's been inside. They released a series of portraits where they cast current celebrities as various television stars from the past, but they were unrecognizable. Like truly, the Elle Fanning as Paris Hilton looks like Jennifer Aniston in a bleach blonde wig. <laughs> I got the Paris Hilton one. I got the Miami Vice one. Well, okay, two things are going on, which is there are you able to recognize what they're referencing is one thing, and a lot of them don't succeed. And then the other one is can you even figure out what celebrity is trying to be that person? Because it's easy to recognize that that's Paris Hilton from The Simple Life. It's very difficult <laughs> to recognize that that is Elle Fanning, right? It's, yeah, or like the the Margaret Qualley. Uh, I was just about to say, Mar- you can tell that that's Margaret Qualley, but it's like, I'm sorry, did she stumble into a Cindy Sherman shoe? What is going on with this gray wig? Yeah, or the one where Nicole Byer is Michelle from Full House. It's like, I would never in a million years make this connection. The only one that you instantly understand is Sienna Miller as Patsy from AbFab. Oh, absolutely. The most confounding one is Sadie Sink, who's supposed to be Elaine. Yeah, but it really just looks like a Botsheva lookbook. (laughs) Who is Melanie Linsky supposed to be? I have no idea. Is she just cool enough that she gets to be herself? She does kind of look like an adult version of her character from Heavenly Creatures. (laughs) I'm sorry, is Chriselle supposed to be Patrick Bateman? Are we also... No, Chriselle is Dexter. Oh, right, right, right. Which is insane, having watched every season of Dexter, I would never in a million years make this connection. Yeah, I mean, Adam Scott as Ted Danson from Cheers makes sense, but that's mostly the the set decoration. Him being in a bar and having a beer and having a beard. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's Ted Danson. Yeah, it's wild. In other news, Elle put Adele on the cover. Okay, sure. Pretty boring. Doesn't feel that timely or major after like the rollout of all of her other Vogue covers this year. Right. And the styling doesn't feel worthy of a September issue. It feels like a March issue or maybe an October. Yeah, it's true. It's not high, high fashion. But I think what did capture our attention was Nicole Kidman on the cover of Perfect Magazine. 
So that's what I believe will be remembered in four months is this shoot. And oh, that'll flicker when I'm about to die and my life flashes before my eyes. Nicole Kidman's biceps will be included in that montage. In that diesel miniskirt. Guys, just imagine if this was the September issue of American Vogue. Yeah, there's no reason why it couldn't be. I mean, AMC, you can't get the first lady of AMC on the cover of American Vogue. She looks amazing. The styling's great. We see her in a different light. But to be fair, this is kind of old Nicole Kidman. Like, I miss redheaded Nicole Kidman. Yeah, like practical magic Nicole Kidman. This wig is... The biceps are really insane. They're scary. I'm scared. I thought it was photoshopped at first. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is some surreal, insane Photoshop. But those are her arms. And I think it's really funny that on her personal Instagram, she shared many images from the shoot, but that was not one of them. Oh, so you think she doesn't like it? I think she's like, it's a little too female bodybuilder. Like, it's not something that's sexy in a traditional sense. Right. Like, it's extremely cool. It's major. She's never looked better. But I think there's a lot of women that maybe wouldn't want to be presented like this, as glamorous as it is. Fair enough. I mean, we talked about this during the Balenciaga couture show, which is you really can't pin her down because she will do something extremely cool like this. And I'm sure we're going to see her serenading Keith Urban at the (laughs) Country Music Awards in two weeks. It's, you know, it's hard to pin her down. And that's what makes her so elusive. Yeah. I wonder what Keith Urban thought of the bicep shot. I don't think Gen Z knows about her because a TikTok popped up last night where a guy was talking about this photo shoot and he was like, I want to see what else she's done. Like people say she's really fierce with fashion. And I'm like, oh God, how old am I? What? And so he looked her up and then found her 1980s Australian modeling photos, her with the frizzy hair. It's like, well, no. And then he's like, oh, but then I found this Vogue shoot from the 90s. It's like, yes. Yeah, the jump from her early fashion editorials in Dolly magazine, which was like their equivalent of sassy, to this cover is extreme. (sighs) I vote for red hair, Nicole. I miss that. Yeah, I like it too. All right. It's about that time to talk about some Kardashians. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really think we have much to talk about but Kim did collaborate with Beats by Dre on some wireless headphones that look like hearing aids in the motif of skin's flesh color I guess yeah and that's kind of it that and Scott Disick flipped his Lambo in Calabasas he's fine he's fine he didn't want any medical attention And also, he was seen with Kimberly Stewart, who I guess he is dating. Which sounds amazing, right? Kind of sounds perfect. It does sound perfect because they have to be around the same age, for one thing. Like, she is not a teenager. She's like... I think think she's even older than us. Oh, very much so. I think he's 39 and she's 42, or he's 42 and she's 39, something like that. She may even be older than him. Wow. Incredible. Yes, Kimberly Stewart, for those who don't know her, I think most famously or infamously from that 
red carpet video where her and Paris Hilton were on a red carpet on motorcycles and Kimberly Stewart accidentally presses the accelerator and goes flying down the red carpet and falls off the bike. And also she's Rod Stewart's daughter. I oh, think I guess that's, that too. Yeah, I think yeah. that's her main claim to fame. But more importantly, she was on our favorite episode of Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. She was? The rock star daughter episode. Oh. I assume Bijou Phillips was also on that? Yeah. Of course. She really stole the show. But Kimberly Stewart was there as well. My other favorite random fact about Kimberly Stewart is that she has a baby with Benicio Del Toro. Wait, what? Yeah, from like a one night stand she had with him. They got a kid together. Wow. There you go. So uh, good luck to them. Yes, and I hope there is some actual Kardashian news that we can properly dissect. If not, I think we're going to have to bring my dad on just to like have someone else to talk to about the Kardashians with and get his ranking of uh, the different Kardashians. Because his number one might surprise you. Okay, I'm down. But before we wrap up this episode, I want to say two things. One thing, I have regrets about saying that preppy guys aren't fuckable because I realize that there's probably some preppy guys that listen to this podcast. Oh, on the last episode? Yeah. Were you referring to Trey? Yeah. Oh, okay. Someone commented on the Patreon like, I'm a preppy guy. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm a bitch. And then I thought about it. I'm like, are they fuckable? And my conclusion is not all, but there is JFK Jr. I guess, yeah. Technically, he's a preppy guy. Yeah. I would say I was thinking about cinematic preps who I find desirable and to no surprise I'm going to select James Spader in Pretty in Pink. Okay, yeah. Sort of like he's fuckable. Outskirts of a prep, <laughs> the preppy guy. Yeah, he's hot. I'm into that. So, sorry to the preppy guys. We weren't talking about you. No. We're not talking about any preppy guy that listens to this podcast. Yeah, you obviously get a pass. And also, It would be really cool if some of you guys listening left us a review in the iTunes store, if you haven't already. A nice review, hopefully. Yeah, because we have a lack of new reviews, and I don't know if it's important. People say it is. I mean, more importantly, we do need that dopamine hit from time to time. (laughs) And if you leave us a funny one, we might just read it on the air next week. Ooh. Look at that. You've gamified leaving a review. Plus the episode is over. Like what else are you doing? Like just, you know, you're already there. Honestly, just give us your personal opinion about preppy men in the review. If you'd yeah, rather. Tell us which preppy guy you'd like to fuck. Anyway, as usual, we never know how to end these things because we don't. We want to stay with you forever. But I must go and edit this so that you can listen to it, which you are listening to it now. Whoa. <laughs> Time continuum. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. All right, guys, bye. Bye.